What's up, world? Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. They, 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 insert here. Yo. It's a terrible game. Bottom line. It's terrible in every way. Graphically, it's terrible. Gameplay is terrible. It's just terrible. Oh, angry Nick mad. That game sucked, and it's gonna suck no matter how many revisions they make, and it just sucked even more because they put a connect with it. Oh, angry Nick mad. Or if there's violence, I'll just laugh and enjoy the fun. Kaz Hazari. Hazari. Kaz Harai. 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 They just kind of got tired of Angry Nick on the first one and said, yeah, I'm gonna pass. Oh, yeah, so I do. It's me, precisely. No. 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 I, I, per- I no. do all my work. No. No. Yeah, I'm you guys are so I don't- cute. Oh, thank you. I try. I mean, let's face it, Mario, and to a lesser extent, Zelda, is what carries Nintendo at this point. Always be radical. I love you, little podcast. You're the bestest thing ever. For the promise of the new Super Smash Brothers and the Zelda game, yes. Will not find a better story presented in any other game genre, in my personal opinion. Like, JRPGs have that. They have that story. That's what the entire game felt like. Oh my god, I want to bang my head into a wall. It's a podcast weekend, because someone remind me. I thought it was a video game podcast. You're listening to the Game Source Podcast. And hey everyone, this is Gerald, better known as Yes Elvis Lives, uh, from com and Game Source on Facebook, at Game Source on Twitter. We provide more stories on the gaming and pop culture world because we like to delve now heavily into pop culture, to be quite honest with you, because it's just so fun and fascinating world to delve into, uh, where we delve into pop culture, movies, television, uh, gaming, um, technology, you name it now these days, because it seems to all go hand in hand. Uh, we take care of it for you here at yourgamesource.com. It's Game Source Podcast number 140, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend. He is Josh Peterson. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. And I just want to say to everybody out there, if you get a chance, check out his book, Vendetta Dark. If you have not done so already, it's a great read. It's available on Amazon and Center Space. Could you share a little bit more about your newest offering out there called Center Space? Yeah, Center Space is actually, it's, it's interesting because it's based, I had a friend approach me and asked me to, write a story based like fiction based on his his music that's coming out so i said you know i I decided to tie it into vendetta dark so i carry on uh, some of the characters from vendetta dark carry on into center space but a lot of center spaces it's it's just a really unique story unlike anything i've ever really written before oh that's good to hear i can't wait to see it myself can't wait to read it myself uh, right here at Game Source Podcast 140. But then again, that is Center Space uh, from Josh Peterson. Uh, today it's going to be a, a start off a little bit different because I know Josh has some things he wants to cover. Uh, but then we will go ahead and talk uh, a little bit more about uh, a certain movie coming out this week. Um, and then we'll also talk about uh, some other things like virtual reality now that the uh, Gaming Developers Con- Conference is now over. Uh, some interesting news came from there. And, of course, we will talk about the hot news topic that's going around the gaming world. Uh, is the Wii U dead? Uh, should it die? 
uh, or uh, should Nintendo keep, let it keep on breathing? Uh, that seems to be the question uh, for debate. But uh, I know, Josh, there's some things you want to cover, uh, first off and foremost. And let's go at it uh, whenever you're ready, my friend. All right. Well, I have – this might be old news now, but, you know, since Daredevil Season 2 just came out on Netflix – Everyone's talking about the Immortal Iron Fist show that's coming out also. It's supposed to follow uh, after the Luke Cage series. But there's a lot of uh, people who are complaining about their casting decision, which they cast the actor Finn Jones for the part of Danny Rand. They're saying they're upset because they wanted the actor to be Asian. But the comic book traditionally revolves around a white man with blonde hair and blue eyes living as an outcast in an Asian culture. So my... It just it makes me wonder. I don't. I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think that injecting diversity into a story that relies heavily on the main character being white would work? And how do you think changing his ethnicity would affect the origins of a story like that? Well, I think first and foremost, it depends on the actor. If the actor is not up for the challenge, you're going to see it right away, and those glaring weaknesses in in his or hers uh, acting talent will obviously uh, make those uh, differences to people who, uh, how should I say, want, if they want to be haters, they're going to be haters even more if, if you don't have the right talent uh, actually performing um, on front of the screen, in front of the camera, or what have you. Um, second of all, uh, you know, it just, whether you want to say Marvel's trying to go out of its way to be politically correct or, or you just want to go and say that, that uh, you know, it's just the way the world has evolved and become out to rather than what it was, you know, previously as far as when, when these co- certain comic series were created and developed and, and thought of, you know, it's just, it's just sometimes it has to be because it, um, you know that you can all have uh, a whitewashing because if you do t- too many uh, as far as white characters, as far as white actors playing whatnot, people there's such a a store you know a landstorm of of criticism that that befalls uh, whatever studio. I mean, what's the the latest of Gods Among Us or what is the one with uh, oh, like Gods of Egypt? Yeah, Gods. Yeah, exactly. That that one right there, Gerard Butler, as you know, work. You know. Let's put the fact aside that it was an awful film. Let's put the fact aside that he should have been the actual, uh, uh, you know, the hero instead of the, the, you know, the villain in the movie. That, you know, first off, it, that did it for me right there. But the third, and obviously, you know, that and Aloha uh, both have recently been criticized in the past year for, for uh, you know, changing its structure to think that it's going to cater to a larger, broader um, and dare, shall I say it, wider audience. Yeah, like with uh, <clears throat> with Immortal Iron Fist, like the big thing, it was Marjorie Lee or Lou who wrote Dark Wolverine and had a brief run with the X twenty three series. She yeah. was she called the uh, Immortal Iron Fist an Orientalist white man yellow fever narrative. So, uh, but it's tough. Like if you were to put an Asian actor into that scenario, it would it the story would completely lose its foundation because it, the, uh, the original iron fist came out in the 1970s and that was about this. It's basically a, the opposite of Bruce Lee. So all Bruce Lee's movies were, you know, he was Asian, but it, they were all, you know, American whitewash pretty much. So it's just, you know, it's tough when, I'm, when like a comic book is written in that era and it specifically revolves around the character being white. It's just, you know, what do you do to respect the source material when adapting something like that if you really are adamant about changing the character's ethnicity? 
but it also, uh, and I, but I will say in return, um, you know, who are you trying to exactly uh, get this to? What is the target audience? Are you, are you trying to just target the hardcores? If you're trying to target the hardcores, you shall make every endeavor into trying uh, to to get as close to the source material as possible. But if you're not, and you're trying to treat it to a broader audience, then you have broader goals in mind. And one of those broader goals for Marvel that I have seen, you know, in their casting choices and whatnot, is to try and be uh, more diversified. And that's to me, that's a credit to them for for thinking outside the box because they they have actually got, garnered some some real real good talent, um, you know, uh, based not based off of ethnicity, but based off their actual talent. Yes, they're different ethnicities as far as. Uh, uh, maybe what the source material had dictated originally, but you know it's just tremendous to see that that they're making wise choices for the most part as far as actors and actresses are concerned playing these roles. So uh, for a lot of people, as far as the general consumer is concerned, they seem to be more adaptive because Marvel's made so many right choices so far. But if you're you're asking those hardcores as far as concerned, maybe they are straying away a little bit too much too often. And this is obviously one example that, that, you know, some people in the internet as you know, what happens often may do, they have a tendency to criticize uh, quite heavily. But, you know, I, I ask you, Josh, as far as this concern, going back, is it something, how important is it for you to, to maintain that, you know, that, that base as far as it's concerned, as far as the source material, uh, is concerned, you know, when when they're trying to appeal to a larger audience by bringing on to these different forums. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of torn on the issue because I understand the need for diversity and like that's great because they're about to launch Black Panther. They got Luke Cage coming out, and uh, there's even talks about you know Blade being welcomed into the fold. But I think with like it's tough to you have to watch that treading that line between whether this is diversity for the sake of diversity or if this character actually needs something like this change um you know as far as like the the iron fist goes i i really feel like you know the character has never been in the comic books he's never been anybody but like a blonde hair blue-eyed white person and i feel like if you were to take an asian and make him and put him in that character like he unless you change the the entire like foundation of the comic book, maybe he's an Asian trying to exist in a white culture, but it would still take away from the story. I feel like, especially since you have such a powerful Asian character who's going to exist alongside him, Shang-Chi. So I think they were kind of balanced each other out, but I mean, that that's just me because I'm, I'm, I don't know if you, I wouldn't call myself a purist, but I like, I like the source material to be respected, at least to some extent. And I can agree with you there because, you know, obviously with with Black Panther coming out, they want to, you know, keep it keep it in tune with the source material as much as possible. But but the, but them taking liberties. In fact, with with Civil War coming out, Civil War is going to going to retain some of its core, uh, you know, the from the core source material. But they're actually have uh, taken broader steps in order to you know, they feel that to bring it on. To the to the big screen and to make it more palp, palpable to to a larger audience, but yes, uh, you know when it comes to Iron Fist, maybe they should be uh, at least somewhat respectful as far as their their core audience is concerned. But 
how large of an audience is it when it comes down to that? Uh, you know, when you're talking about because this is a business, when when these decisions are made, the ultimate decision is made off of money. How much money can we garner off this franchise? Or in this case, how many views and how many, what are the ratings are concerned? You know, if, when they go after this, um, if they decide to stray, how much are they going to stray away from the source material in order to make it, uh, you know, a viewable experience uh, for a larger audience? But, you know, it, it's it's going to be hard. Like you said, there is that delicate balance. There is that delicate tightrope that they have to keep on trying to stay balanced on as far as making, you know, the purists such as yourself uh, or that you have purist tendencies such as yourself uh, that would like to see the source material covered and then also, you know, trying to to placate to a larger audience. So uh, there is that balancing act. But you're right. As far as that's concerned, it starts with the casting. And and if you uh, if that casting is not done well enough or it's not well thought out or if it's, if it's not planned correctly, uh, it all goes astray from there, in my opinion. But, you know, as we've seen with The Walking Dead, they keep some similarities, but then they also stray away from the source material when need be. Uh, and as you can see the results there, it, it's worked out for them, for them just fine. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, you just have to, because to me, it's at the end of the day, like they're, these movies are, you have people who casually go and see these movies and then you have people who have like spent, you know, weeks, months, years of their life delving into these characters. They like, these characters are like an alternate reality for them. So that's, I guess that that's where like my big opinion on this comes from. But, you know, I get the need for diversity in, in comic books, especially if you look at the late, the like uh, Miles Morales, for example, like he, when he took over Ultimate Spider-Man, now he exists as, one of the main spider people in the regular Marvel universe, but he's um, in the last issue to come out. He was, let's see, he was uh, an Asian video blogger. She caught, she caught a glimpse of him without his mask on, but she didn't see his face, but she just saw that his skin was black. And she said, and she was talking about how she really wants, she's so excited that this new Spider-Man is black, but in a separate window, Miles Morales was saying that, he doesn't want to be the black Spider-Man. He just wants to be Spider-Man. So, and like, I think normally this would be a touching moment for comic books, but it's, what I'm reading is that it's upset quite a few people because it's not a, an African-American person who's writing this. It's a white person who's writing this. So what, do you think that it's right for white people to try to like translate what non-white people think and feel for the sake of art? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, and you get onto some real touchy subjects because it's, uh, it, it's a, again, we, we, we come across a, uh, another sa same narrative where there's, uh, you're walking across a dangerous tightrope as far as uh, trying to go ahead and write or create things um, about an ethnicity that's not in a culture of the base that's not your own. And any time that, that, that you delve into that as a writer, um, if you're not, if you haven't done the research or firsthand experience necessary to write on it, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb and, and it's going to come off extremely poor indeed. I'm not going to say it can't be done because there has been examples in, in, in both, you know, the literary and televised and film world that where it, it, 
has been done and has been done successfully, but it's a game that, that, you know, it's very dangerous game, especially in the days and ages we live now where if something like that is done improperly, uh, it could have serious uh, cultural ramifications as far as a backlash is concerned. Yeah. And I think that Miles Morales, his Spider-Man arcs have been fantastic. He is a truly interesting character. Like he really breathed life into the new, you know, the new, the back into Spider-Man. Cause you know, there are several issues down the line now, but it's really like, I think that the whole thing is just, there's people who are, um, you know, again, it's the purists versus the, you know, new comic book fans, the purists like their, their Spider-Man white. And I, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think, you know, like I said, Miles Morales says Spider-Man is really good. I don't know if you've ever read any of that stuff, but it's... I have a little bit, yes. It's, yeah, but the point is, like, do they think that maybe if Marvel were to hire, like, an African-American writer to take that thing, it would be, to take his story, it would be more powerful than it is now because it's kind of, you know, it's like, say, like a white... It's seeing a new perspective on it, and it's also seeing a culturally correct perspective of it, and you're getting experiences that 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 writer only that writer can create. Correct? Correct. So it, to to me, it feels like if a white person were to have written Roots, like it really wouldn't have the same. It would be kind of offensive in a way. Not that this is offensive, but I feel like if they want really want to champion the cause of like an African American Spider Man, they should go out of the box and not have I know, uh, you know, that's his, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, like Ultimate Spider-Man his, is his creation, but maybe it's time, you know, he, he set up the story, so maybe it's time that he, like, stepped down, you know, give, hand the reins over to somebody else. I would agree with you, because the more you play with that fire, the more you're, you know, the, the bigger chance you're going to get burnt, um, and something's going to happen, or, you, or there's going to be some dialoguing, uh, some, some branching note when you're trying as far as to to create your stories that that's not going to hit where you need it to hit where you where you think it's going to hit uh with an audience and then the first thing that's going to be called out is is the fact that that he's a uh, a white writer as far as it's concerned and not uh, uh true to the culture base that that what you're what you're dealing with here and if if you know you're supposed to if there should be, as far as there, there's there's enough talented writers out there of all ethnicities that that should get the opportunity to work on on uh, cultural comic books with cultural backgrounds that are similar to their own, but they should also be able to get the chance to write on on others as well if they are skilled enough, uh, like like we've talked about. I mean, if we have a, a white writer that's doing uh, you know a commendable job on a certain comic book that, that should also lead to an Asian, African-American, uh, Indian, whatever, uh, native American, um, you know, whatever ethnicity base that you are, they should also get the same chance as well, because, um, you know, talent is talent across the board, no matter what, uh, background you have. Uh, if you've got it, you're, and you should be able to use it. And, and Marvel's not stupid. Marvel is, is probably so much more developed in recent years as far as even before, just before the Disney takeover um, from the company that I knew what early years with the previous iteration of daredevil and, and whatnot, where that company looked like it was really in bad shape um, to what it is now where they are making calculated 
correct decisions, not out of arrogance, but but really just taking a they're they're making very good good decisions overall as far as the future for their entire franchises, and and they've got a lot of they got a lot of cachet with with the general fans and the hardcore audience right now, and and they should use it by going ahead and making um, you know sending a, a message out to to all industries as far as is concerned that all backgrounds can be able to provide uh, uh, you know quality stuff if they're given the chance. Right. I, you know, and everyone brings a different experience to, into the story. And personally, I think that it's kind of sad that this is even like an argument because no matter what skin color, the writer or the hero is, I think the, the important point is just that the story is good and it's something that can, you know, provide people with the escape that they need, can, you know, inspire them maybe. And it's, so it, it boils down to this. So let me ask you, if you like, so comic book purists kind of get a bad name. Do you think that they're that they're not? It's not hatred, but do you think that they these accusations are are against them are based on the fact that they are intolerant, or just that they have like a really deep reverence for the source material? Like same thing with like the people who you know have followed Star Trek for years. Like if you were to go and change that story around, they would probably riot. Well, purists, but. Pure and simple of anything, comic books, Star Trek, Star Wars, what have you, they're always getting up in arms, you know, when there's something that that's changing from what they are familiar with. It's just a natural tendency of us as human beings right now in 2016. Right. And if you are purist and uh, whatever it is, uh, and and that's something it's changed in front of you, uh, then obviously you're going to react most likely in a negative fashion. And, and I don't see this as a surprise. Uh, I certainly don't see this as a shock in any way, shape, or form. But I do see this as a learning opportunity for those to be more receptive of, of quality work wherever it comes from. And definitely, I just want to you know, reiterate that, that people need to give this a chance uh, as far as it's concerned, that storyline, but also as well, to be able to um, give writers of, of various backgrounds the chance to 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 work on on projects like these, because I think it will deepen a storyline such as that even further than what the current writer could be doing as well. Uh, in my opinion, I think it could deepen the experience and make it more enriching for fans because of the way that that the relation could be there as far as it's concerned. Um, that's just my opinion, I know, but. I really see a, a, a great future for comic book franchises if they're allowed to to get away a little bit, still somewhat embrace, but at least get away a little bit from that that rigid structure um, that uh, you know purists have had on the industry. Because there is, a, you know, I've seen it. I know you've seen it, but there is a, a certain box, a certain tunnel that purists have created in regards to the way they want their comic books. And, and sometimes it's that, that area is too rigid and it's with any industry, as far as it's concerned, when it comes to purists, they want their little window and, and little ball, a sphere of exactly how they want it. And, and unfortunately, sometimes they're not able to see even myself when it comes, when I'm a purist about uh, certain things, um, I'm not always able to see the bigger picture 
as far as is concerned. And, and sometimes we need to just step out of this box as purists in order to see that, hey, this could really work and could work even better for our beloved franchise. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The, like the only problem I have with like the, you know, that movement to go forward is that it's hard to tell. Like you get a lot of like keyboard warriors sitting back behind who don't really read any any comic books, don't really care about comic books. They'll go see a few Marvel movies, but then they they have. It feels like these days, since race is such a huge issue, they have such a huge hold over the in, like a subculture that they don't really belong to. If that makes sense. No, that, 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 that's absolutely correct. And, and um, when it comes to, to my knowledge of comic books and whatnot, even back from when I was young, I don't have, you know, uh, a pinky full compared to you. So when it comes to, to being an authority on the comic book scene, I would gladly defer to you on any type of situation such as that. But when it comes down to, you know, situations and, and opinions such as what you're talking about, that's not just in the comic book world, but as I stated earlier, it's it's a common theme when you're a purist about basically anything in today's culture, whether it's pop culture, whether it's politics, what have you. People have a tendency to to um, gravitate towards something so heavily that they're not able to always see exactly um, you know something good that may be just a little bit outside of that realm. Right, and there's there's honestly like in the past three years there's been some amazing comic books come out because the you know they changed they recreated a hero or they changed its his nationality and skin color miles morales miss marvel um even you know i know the fantastic four reboot was awful but i thought that uh well just uh, the use of michael b jordan on there that that yeah and you can see he has talent because look what he did with creed and and just a tremendous job there so uh, i yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, people it gave like you said those keyboard warriors because the movie stunk, and it really you know as I like to say it really blew chunks. Um, it gave every opportunity for those keyboard warriors to start you know typing away you know all the the spew and the the hatred and the junk that they that they want to. But it I in my opinion as I think you're probably alluding to, it wasn't because of the actor in this situation. It was because of the the, the product that was given to him. Yes, exactly. Like I said, it's a, you have to tread the line carefully, but I think that there is a bright future up ahead for comic books, even comic book film adaptations. Because, you know, there's people who, we've had this conversation before, people calling for stronger female characters. Uh, Scarlet Witch, like, look at her. She is, you know, she's become quite popular. There's t-shirts, action figures. It's, you know, it's one step at a time, but it's, there, there will come a day when it's, you know, everyone gets what they want. And I've told you already, we've had this conversation before regarding uh, Black Widow. I mean, finally, they're starting to, to see little bits, you know, with, with the change in, reg- in regime at uh, Marvel Studios. Uh, and, we, you know, I know you know about that as far as it's concerned. The, the, previous, uh, the previous hierarchy did not want to go all out on, on banking on, on, you know, the female aspect as far as, you know, seeing that that revenue that I saw because I you know I, I, as I've said before, I've got two daughters. Take them to the comic book store every month. Uh, they live and breathe Marvel. Uh, you know, as far as they're concerned, my ten-year-old just cannot get enough of these sneak peeks and 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 exposés on on what they think is going to happen with Civil War. 
she has seen every single one of them almost uh, that actually uh, you know, keeps the language to uh, a proper proper usage. But uh, yeah, some of them really don't. I'm like, no, you know, can't watch that one. But uh, um, she sees, she wants to know more and more and more about Civil War. She is just, you know, freaked out about it. And, and my eight-year-old too, She, if she's not uh, watching that, she's watching you know, other stuff relating to it as far as from the Star Wars and Marvel universes. But those are, there's a tremendous amount of revenue that was missed out over the past ten, five, ten years, especially with the rise in, in Scarlett Johansson's role and prominence within the Avengers universe. I think they were, Marvel was missing out on a, a ton of cash. And it's just finally good to see that, that you know, with uh, the onslaught, which is just starting to trickle in of merchandising from Civil War, uh, by the way, did you get your uh, knit boxers yet? I saw at Walmart the other day. I did not. I, I didn't know that was a thing. I'll have to look into it. They are available now at your local Walmart, uh, as I was told. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, your T-shirts are, I'm sure, coming right behind. But they don't want to put them out yet because there's a uh, Superman and Batman, uh, which we'll talk about in a sec. Uh, wow. They want to try and sell those first. But anyways... Uh, my girls, you know, they, they are really, really uh, into the Marvel franchises, and I'm just glad to see that Kevin uh, has has really, you know, now gotten a, a great idea. Now that he's he's the the head honcho at at, at uh, Marvel uh, as far as what they want to do, what they want to plan out, and and how they want to go ahead and take all these these uh, personalities of different backgrounds, male or female. And actually make them, you know, commercialize them, you know, uh, them themselves as well. Because you know, you and I see, they when Marvel brings out uh, properties and, and merchandising for a movie, there there'll be a ton of it, and there's going to be a ton that's sold, and there's going to be a ton that's not. So why don't you just, if you're going to, you know, say yes to licensing a lot of stuff. Just make it even across the board for almost every Marvel character because it is it is only in their best interest because they can oh, see yeah. what and they can see what works and what's not. It, are, how excited are people going to be? Are are they for Black Panther? Well, the sales will dictate that. How people are people excited for as far as the the uh, Spider Man? Even though I know he's a Sony movie property, he's still a Marvel property to some extent. You know they'll they'll gauge exactly. So Sony will also know exactly how how excited they are. Because uh, you know, obviously, the feedback from the from him being seen in the trailer has been tremendous. But there's just so many opportunities that Marvel in the past uh, has missed because of the, the the hierarchy involved. But the change now uh, is for the better, and they're understanding a little bit more as far as the traditional forms of comic book fans uh, is going by a wayside, and there's a new um, style, a new group. Of, of comic book fans coming into the universe uh, that, that want something more out of their comic book heroes. And I think Marvel, at least on that end, is about ready to deliver that promise. Yes, I agree. Um, that's, that's the end of my questions right there. So let's, what have you got for me today? Well, on that note regarding comic books, there's a certain little movie that's coming out from the Pepsi of comic books, DC Superman, Dawn of Justice. <laughs> and, uh, well, I ask you, as our uh, resident comic book man and comic book expert, aficionado, whatever you want to say, because you are it, man, 
you uh, you know as far as anyone as far, uh, as far as it's concerned. What is your? You've, I know you put your ear to the to the ground as far as the 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 momentum for for this movie as compared to the Marvel uh, movie that's coming out, Captain America: Civil War. And we knew the the Captain America: Civil War trailer with uh, Spider Man blew up oh. when that came out, almost almost to Star Wars: Force Awakens numbers. Numbers I want to add, uh, very very similar to the to their numbers. So that being said. How excited do you think people are for this? Uh, and do you think that this will be able to successfully kickstart the DC franchise much in the way, um, I don't want to say the Avengers, uh, but the Iron Man series, let's go for that as far as it's concerned, has kickstarted the Marvel movie franchise? Because I believe it, it started with the Iron Man movies as far as, in my opinion. Yeah, it's honestly like, it's really hard to say for sure because... I loved Man of Steel. I thought that movie was just is a visual feast, and it was it was pretty spot on with the comic books. Yet it didn't get the attention that it deserved. Like it didn't have as many viewers as like an Avengers movie would have. So I think that once and and right now, like I, I haven't read a lot of reviews for Batman vs Superman, but from what I from what people have been telling me, that the reviews aren't so great. But you can't really trust trust the reviews, honestly. But I I honestly I think that it's it's a good platform because people love Batman, people love Superman, and people love watching things get destroyed. Like if the Avengers is any indication of that, people love explosions and superheroes fighting each other. I think that it has a great chance of launching DC's universe. Okay, and that but that said, would you have given all the way all the spoilers and the trailers that they did? Because they gave away a ton of spoilers, and it actually has detracted some from actually seeing the movie because of it. I think that they're they have because from what I understand, the budget for this movie was huge, and they have so much on the line, and they're so determined to launch that shared cinematic universe that they, yeah, they they probably did give away a whole lot in the in the trailers, but at the same time, I think that there's a lot in the movie that is still worth seeing. Like, for example, that fight with uh, Doomsday, you know, you have that whole, you, all you get to see, are, and the fight between Batman and Superman, all you get to see are little snippets of it. But, like, to actually watch it, like, I, I personally, like, I went out and I watched, you know, there's, you know, connected trailers on the internet that are, like, 14 minutes long. I watched every single one of them. And um, I don't know if you've ever read the comic book of Batman vs. Superman, but it's, you know, it's got a lot more characters in it. Uh, Green, Green Arrow is... I don't want to give you guys a spoiler, but like Green Arrow is a big like player in that comic book, but he's not in the DC cinematic nope. universe. So I know, you know Aquaman. I know Aquaman, oh, and two more superheroes are teased, uh, along with uh, you know the three that has been mentioned. But uh, Green, I don't think Green Arrow was was one of them. I might be mistaken. Uh, I don't think so because of Arrow's fishing. See that? That's another thing I want to ask. You know is Arrow from the TV series who's done an, a very admirable job and Flash from has done a very admirable job. Flash. You know, they should be tr- translated onto the big screen to, to keep some type of cohesion because you see DC approving this, you know, Supergirl Flash hybrid that's going on of, of you know, them appearing on, on each other's uh, TV shows and whatnot. But... Do you, I haven't heard a confirmation that it's going to be taking place. Has is that going to take place? Do you think 
that that uh, those those characters, those specific actors, uh, will be able and Supergirl as well, obviously as well, um, be translated and be moved when when the Justice League finally forms up in a couple years or so. Unfortunately, no, because a lot like Marvel, a lot of DC's comics hinge on the idea of a multiple universes. So they're committed to a multiverse theory to where the TV shows and the movies, <clears throat> they exist in the same realm, I guess, but they're in different universes. So if uh, I think Ezra Miller has been cast as the Flash as opposed to... Uh, Grant Gustin, I think his name is. And um, they haven't really mentioned anything about Green Arrow, but allegedly they're, they they want to keep their TV shows and their movies separate, but allegedly they're working with a multiverse theory. So maybe at some point in the future, these these two entities can intertwine with each other, but at the, at the moment, there's not really any plans for it, just because, you know, that's the way Zack Snyder set this whole thing up. To me, that's kind of disappointing. Uh, as far as it's concerned, because I, if they were failing TV shows, as far as it's concerned, I could see that. I could see that, and I have no problem with it. But these are shows that they're the backbone of CW's programming. I know some people would chuckle at that statement because, like, if you know, seeing CW's ratings as if they had a backbone in the first place. But it is true; it is their backbone of their ratings. And Supergirl has performed has performed quite well on on CBS. I believe it is up for renewal. It will it most most likely be renewed. I say there's a good shot at it. Um, so there is a future for all three of these franchises in TV, and uh, audiences just trying to realize why you would make these things different. You know, why do I have to have a different Flash here when I go out to the movies? And and an hour ago, I just watched the Flash on on the CW. You know, I I just. Keeping that type of cohesion would be great. It would probably be recommended, in my opinion. But uh, by, uh, you know, it is Hollywood, and and ultimately DC series, like you said, with the multiverse option, uh, it's probably the case as well. But but then you're saying something like you know, uh, Marvel with the you know the Avengers and the Agents of Shield, where they try they try to keep some type of cohesion. There is still the Agent Coulson factor, which they never really explained well enough. Um, but they really kind of like leave that alone, but they still kind of try to keep the cohesion between the films and the movies, uh, TV shows and the movies, um, so that they all relate somehow to one another to at least an extent, at least the ABC shows, for example, I don't want to say the Netflix, uh, Marvel shows as of yet, but at least from the, the, uh, TV shows that they're, they're trying to, to have a correlation with each other and whatnot. But, um, needless to say, I'm kind of. Uh, I I think it will do well. Uh, I don't want to say it won't do uh, won't do badly, uh, but I don't think that they have the cachet that Marvel does. I think that um, um, once the Batman series uh, kind of went downhill with the last ba- Batman movie, um, and then uh, Man of Steel, which uh, like you said it was a was a pretty good movie on its own merits, but for some reason didn't fully get to the level where it needed to be. It's funny because it made more money than, than uh, you know, quite a few of the, the Marvel movies. So when you look at worldwide uh, grosses or even domestic grosses, but in its, uh, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, it's just not as well appreciated uh, of a movie as, as the Marvel, Marvel movies, even some of the, 
the you know lesser appreciated Marvel movies, um, you know, from recent past that's taken place. It just seems that Man of Steel cannot buy enough love uh, for that. That's concerned. And and the problem with Batman versus Superman is that you've had to have seen Man of Steel to at least have a better idea uh, going in, um, because I know some of the the at least part of it, uh, and I'm assuming the beginning of it or near the beginning would have uh, a direct correlation with the ending events of that movie. If uh, from what I've seen is correct. Yeah. Let me like, I can't be the only one who thinks this, but like Warner brothers has an obsession with Batman that I just cannot fathom. Like I, from what I've read, I've read multiple articles about this, about them saying they actually cut out scenes with Superman to put Batman in there. And I really don't, Batman's cool, but like he's not—he's not Superman. I think Superman, it like, is such an interesting character because his his biggest flaw to him is that he's he's more human than a lot of the humans in the DC universe. Like, and that's and honestly, Superman would just annihilate Batman. The only but reason, but in, in as far as box office is concerned, as far as movie success is concerned, Batman has trounced at least in the recent history. Um, you know, some of the nineties Batman movies, notwithstanding, but at least in the recent history, Batman has, you know, I, the, you know, the dark Knight rises. Yeah. While it is not considered the best of the trilogy, it still financially did well enough uh, so that, that, you know, they want to continue with the Batman fr- franchises uh, as a whole. Again, I just thought it's for some reason, it's just thought of better uh, than the Superman franchises as far as from a movie aspect. Yeah. And then- and like I, I get that. It's just the the I feel like it all hinges on the writing. So you have Chris you know, Chris Nolan's writing team was obviously spectacular when they did uh The Dark Knight. So it's I, I feel like <clears throat> you know, Warner Brothers isn't really giving Superman a chance here. Like Man of Steel was fantastic, but in this movie they paint Superman to be kind of like a villain and they're just he's kinda of getting uh Side sidekicked, I guess, in a way to make room for Batman. Kind of like Iron Man in Civil War. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Funny how that works. <laughs> it's, it's just you're making all these decisions based on profits and not on like because there are some great stories to be told here, but it's being ruined at the prospect of how much money can we make off of it. But then again, that's that's the point. I mean, as I said earlier, when we're talking about the questions that you're asking me. Um, in regards to to you know the directions that they're making, it's ultimately that's what it comes down to with these corporations, and that's what everybody has to think of. It's no longer a comic book company. Marvel is a corporation. DC is not a comic book company. It's a corporation, and and ultimately, in order to satisfy you know the the greater good, for lack of a better term, of these corporations as far as their revenues or profits. Uh, you know the shareholders from which they need to take care of. They're obviously the the in Marvel's case Disney, which owns them. You know, obviously to to make sure that they're viable, uh, is to to run out of profit and and try to make your your entities as big budget as as you know make garner as much revenue as possible. And ultimately, those decisions whether you know they deviate. Uh, ex, you know, substantially, or even just a small margin uh, above what the comic res- the source material is, that that seems to to be the case ultimately. Money, the money wins out. You know, at least the, the what they think is the best financial decisions uh, seems to always win out. And 
Yeah, it's it. It looks like it is straying away from from the original vision of the comic books, as far as it's concerned. But Batman versus Superman, a uh, uh, Donna Justice is coming out this weekend. I think it it holds some promise, but I just don't have the same faith uh, as far as it's concerned. Because, like you said, there's such a dichotomy regarding the well thought of Batman, even if there since there's a new, even if there's Ben Affleck now playing it. And, and the Superman character, and there's just so much, uh, you know, a difference of opinion, uh, even internally as far as exactly how far it will go. Um, but it's in, it'll be interesting to see. I don't see the same success initially off the bat. Um, maybe Suicide Squad could garner that, that you know, grab that brass ring that uh, seemingly some of the Marvel movies, like most notably Deadpool, has garnered. Um, but uh, you know, I think it will do do well. Will do do well enough to obviously support and be a foundation for the the Justice League franchises movies to to come. Whether or not that means success for an Aquaman separate movie or a Wonder Woman separate movie or what have you, that I don't know yet. That I'll have to gauge and see by the by the success definitely of this movie, uh, so I can give you a better answer on that. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's. It- Time will tell, I guess. We'll have to see, like, not critics, because obviously critics are going to be a lot harder on superhero movies now that they've, you know, they've built so much momentum. But ultimately, it's going to be up to the fans to decide how much they like that movie. And it's, you know, and like you said, the the whole idea that it's, you know, these corporations have such, con- you know, the money is a big thing. Is it's kind of sad in itself because if you think about it, so much of their, so much of Hollywood's income relies so heavily on these Hollywood blockbusters. So, you know, they make one wrong move and it, there's the danger of the entire structure collapsing. That's why Spielberg might've had a point when he said the future of film belongs to the indie makers. Uh, exactly. But the problem is those indie makers, they seem to, once they get success on their own, as indie makers. They seem to, a lot of them, I don't want to say all, I want to say, I'll just say a good portion Will will jump on that opportunity to become part of a bigger uh, structure base. They'll get those opportunities, and it works sometimes. Uh, and as we saw with Fantastic Four, it doesn't work sometimes as well. But uh, we'll have to, you know. I mean, I got to call it like I see it because that that movie did not work, and and obviously it didn't translate into to success at the box office. Now, mind you, I don't think Batman versus Superman is going to see that type of uh, failure. Um, I think it's actually, you know, has has at least some initial uh, success that that I think is a uh, uh, pretty good bet for. But uh, long term, we we'll, we will see if this can be the franchise cornerstone uh, for their movie base that's upcoming. And I think we're going to get a good idea of that in the next two or three months, um, even bef- you know before or as uh, Civil War itself as their competitor comes out uh, as well. So. We'll have to wait and see, but it starts this weekend. So if you're going to go see it, let us know uh, at Game Source or Game Source on Facebook. Give us a holler. Uh, I'll be posting stories on the success or lack of success of the movie, either which way, um, on our Game Source Facebook site. So give us a check out uh, right there, uh, which also has had a lot of news and updates regarding uh, virtual reality and all the great things that have gone on there because last week at the Gamers Development Gamer Development uh, Developers Com- Conference, if I could say that correctly, uh, recently just wrapped up last week and uh, 
had a lot of interesting news, but the biggest news from that is the the announcement of the actual time frame and the price that the PlayStation VR uh, is finally going to come out with. So I ask you, uh, Josh, I know you don't have a PlayStation 4 as of yet. I know you're an Xbox One fan and you're waiting for the for the the HoloLens to become that that augmented reality experience that everybody is clamoring for. But seeing how it's it was introduced at 399 and 499 for all the apparatus, uh, if you want that bundle, what are your initial thoughts as far as the the hopes as far as for PlayStation VR as compared to let's say you know uh, um, Google Cardboard or our Samsung Galaxy, uh, you know as far as VR is concerned, the gear uh, or the Vive or the or the Oculus Rift. <clears throat> Um, well, a friend of mine just got a Samsung Galaxy, so he's showing me, like, there's, it's, it's pretty realistic, like, you get stuck in a, there's one where you're, like, stuck in a shark cage, and you can play Temple Run on these things, but it's, you know, is it going to be, my concern here, is it going to be, like, eSports, because at first, everyone was really stoked about that stuff, and then they started, you know, playing those games, and they realized, you know, man, I don't like to sweat while I'm playing video games, so it's, I think it's a great idea and it's awesome. I love like when they show off the Hololens at um, you know E3. That was pretty cool. And Sony's uh, Sony's VR is it, it looks fantastic. Like I just you know it just depends on the price and it, there, there's all kinds of factors. But it, it you know at, at right now I can't make any predictions about it. But I'm I'm excited about the future of VR. I think it's I think it's the ne- really the next step in gaming because you know it's taking it off the screen and actually putting you inside of it. And that's really, you know, if you want to make a jump in gaming, that's, that's what you want to do. Cause the, you know, the staring at the screen, there's only so much you can do to upgrade graphics and all that, but this is really like a, a huge leap. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how this turns out. Uh, as am I, I'm, I, I know the PlayStation VR, but a lot of people are, are somewhat happy as far as that the price range is within the price structure of an actual console, um, there, uh, I know there, there's some concern over the Vive from HTC and also as well uh, Oculus Rift um, because of their pricing structure that you also need a PC that's going to be able to support it. And most people right now at this point do not have that powerful of a PC. Um, so which is, uh, uh, you know, you'll have to not only upgrade, uh, you know, obviously get the, the virtual reality equipment itself, but you have to upgrade your PC with it. And that's a large expense for, for many people, for virtually every consumer out there, actually. Uh, personally had experience at CES with uh, the Gear VR, and um, while it is nice um, and whatnot and somewhat interactive, basically, to me, uh, I wanted to see more, and I'm hoping for better returns once the PlayStation VR uh, comes into vogue as far as it's concerned from, like you said, the gaming aspect. Uh, the the possibilities uh, are really endless uh, as, far, as far as it's concerned. But with Oculus Rift, I also have hopes for that one because there was a reason why Facebook put uh, $2 billion down on it. Oh. And I had stated on an article that I'm, I've got upcoming on, on virtual reality that, that their interest in virtual reality is more than just from a gaming aspect. And they see potential for this medium uh, even beyond uh, from an entertainment value, and and I'm just hoping that that be able to virtual reality be able to be utilized to its full potential and not go way, go the way of recent failures like the Android console or 3D TV. 
Let me ask you this though, like guys, this has been this has been a topic of a, a, a lot of debate among people. Do you think that as video games get <laughs> more realistic with virtual reality, do you think that people will start to get like PTSD from video games? I think there might be some effect from it. Yes, uh, I think if you you know because when people do things, uh, what once they get these in their their room, their houses, their rooms, dorm rooms, whatever. They're going to do it, and they're going to do it in mass because there's no. The only instructions that I've seen, as far as is concerned, uh, have dealt with the age issue. Where um, I think Oculus did 12 years old, and Sony has actually said 13 year old is maybe the starting point. Um, anything younger, and they're worried uh, about uh, possible issues from from being able to comprehend, but also adapt and. And and like you said, being able to have those those moments when you don't have the glasses on, so that's why they're asking those younger audiences not to use uh, virtual reality as as of this point in time. But I can see that with anybody, you know, you know, as you know, you've seen gamers who you and I have been gamers that have played for you know five, six, seven, ten hour stretches. Uh, you know, back back when I was younger, I was that's what you know what I did a lot of, you know as far as is concerned. And, and just if I put on, I know if I put on a virtual reality for that amount of time, it's going to have some effect on me once I take off those glasses. And I know that's going to be with a lot of other people as well, because you can't do something in, in that type of mass and, and not affect you in some manner. We've seen an effect of just playing video games a whole, you know, oh. some of the, some, some instances of people, you know, not, not, uh, actually getting getting health issues because they're not not going and, and and understanding and realizing that they have to do something uh to break up the monotony of just playing the video game uh for long long stretches at a time and virtual reality um you know telling the brain something else as far as the concern once you put off on that ex- immersive experience that's just going to make it even more uh, susceptible to i think like you said PTSD or some other issues uh, relating to that. I, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, the mind at, you know, especially at 12, 13, even up to like 16 there, and, and beyond the the mind is so moldable. So, I mean, you get, you know, once you get, I, I mean, I don't know how it is for you. Like, but when I used to play Halo, you know, in junior high school, I would, a lot of like that game would feel like home to me. Like I would go inside of that game and I would just kind of stay there for a while. So if you, Imagine that kind of effect, but with virtual reality where you're actually inside of it, you know, you're spinning in all directions and you're engulfed in this war, like, or world, whatever it is you're playing. It's just, it seems like it, it has some dangers, I guess. Well, with uh, like you usually said with Halo, Halo 2, a multiplayer, I played it constantly uh, every night for about a, over well over a two-year period. And I know even when I was not on, I was still thinking about it. I was still imagining scenarios in my head, whether it was something that happened in the game or something I needed to go ahead and do the next time I come on. It was it had taken over a certain aspect of my life, and I know that that for some people that that are going to be able to, to are are going to buy this and be able to use it for long stretches at a time because you know somebody is going to, oh. you know, and yeah. way more than they should be doing it on in stretches. But that's going to definitely happen, and it might d- happen to detrimental effects to them. And we don't even know long term the the possibilities as far as 
having this on and, and being able to use it. Could be nothing wrong with it. Could be okay. Everything could be fine, you know, as far as any, any long-term you know, effects of it. But we don't know as far as the, what the long-term effects could be. Uh, the only virtual, you know, reality we've really had, we've had in in lesser amounts and and maybe uh, you know going to an arcade or or and don't say the virtual boy anyone out there because that wasn't really a that much of a virtual experience per se. But okay, I guess you could. But um, there, you know, that's just we really have not been able to be subject. As an, as a wide audience to the mass use of virtual reality in any shape or form, and and the long term ramifications of that were were you know nobody has any clue, so so let's uh, I I I have some enthusiasm for the product. I'm not I've I mean my my use extended use of it um, has not uh, garnered me a whole lot of interest as much as others, but I'm I'm hopeful for the industry. Obviously, there's some interest in it. Because uh, the major sellouts all over the place for PlayStation VR, which has already sold like gangbusters in Europe, uh, and I know pre-orders uh, are going to be doing the same here initially. Um, so, and I know the price making you know right around what a console would be making it was uh, was definitely a good move for by Sony indeed. Uh, but I don't know uh, the long-term issues with virtual reality are there. Uh, the long-term concerns. And the long-term health effects could be there as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's definitely there's a reason to be concerned, but at the same time, you have to look at it like you know any video game that's come out in the past. Obviously, people are going to say, "Oh, you're going to get addicted to this." It's just right now, it's really just a wait and see kind of thing. Definitely, indeed, um, it definitely is going to be a wait and see and th- uh, type of thing, and. Um, well, we'll also have to wait and see as far as our final topic tonight, and that is um, the possible death of the Wii U. Um, the Japanese uh, newspaper, I believe it's Nikkei, um, reported the other day that, uh, well, they reported that uh, the Wii U may be ending production, Nintendo may be ending a production on the console uh, as early as this year. Obviously, you're going to be introducing the Nintendo NX that has now become no secret to anyone at all. Um, but uh, even though their denials as early as to, uh, as late as today, saying that they're not going to kill off the Wii U that quickly, um, the the rumors uh, and substantiated reports uh, may be truthful to some extent as well. So I ask you this, as someone who you know, you and I have talked about the viability of the Wii U. Uh, to a consumer base, the fact that that there are a number of strong titles in its library, but yet it really hasn't clicked with the largest a large audience at all to any extent. Seeing how it's number three in the current console race, um, I mean, I, I know I was close to buying one, uh, but then, like I said, there was as I've told many people, there's just not that one thing that grabbed me um and and that as far as is concerned that that was probably for many people um so obviously i ask you should the wii u die does it need to die and uh, you know how upset are people really going to be if the wii u eventually meets its demise 
I feel bad saying this, but I really don't feel like people are going to be too disappointed with the loss of the Wii U, especially if, since Nintendo has this new console coming up, which hopefully we'll get a glimpse of soon. But I think that Nintendo really has failed to capture the same momentum that, you know, PlayStation and Xbox has, especially since most a good majority of their games are geared towards a younger audience, though they're fun. Adults still, you know, find them fun, but they don't have like, they don't have a halo. They don't have like their own uncharted. They don't have a like a mass effect. It's just, you know, they, but, they've, but they do from a first party standpoint, they have the best lineup that their lineup stands critically on a better basis than all, either of them. Don't you think? Yeah, it does. And I, at one time, like they were, you know, they were, they were on top of the console game, but I just, I feel like, I, I don't know what it is. Like, I can't say for sure because I, I don't own a Wii U, but I just, I feel like maybe people are getting burnt out on, on these games because there are a ton of Mario and Sonic games and there's, and while they're fun, it's just, there's, you know, it's the same question that people have with Halo. Are people just getting tired of it? So I think with the new Nintendo, they really have a chance to recapture that, that last, you know, that faded glory that they've that they've had in the past, and and they had the riding momentum of the Wii, and they were out first, a you know, all virtually a year ahead of time, uh, before the Xbox One and the PlayStation Four in this case, and still was weren't able to capture the momentum that I felt that they should have, and it's going to be a shame that that the Wii U may be meeting its demise, uh, like I said, according to reports. Um, even though Nintendo has denied it, it, the writing's on the wall for the Wii U, unfortunately, even though it does have an outstanding lineup. Um, but there, you know, there were issues I know with a lot of people uh, that have talked about their, their online experience with the Wii U is so much more complicated, uh, than it's to two main competitors. And also as well, the third lack of a third party, uh, robust relationship, um, as far as third party titles are concerned, I think that was also, a a uh, defining factor for the Wii U as well. Um, it, it's just, uh, I want to wait and see. I want to see what happens with the NX. Um, it, you know, it's obviously they see where, where things went wrong with the Wii U and, and they're trying to make it right with the, they're going to make it right, or at least they're going to try to make it right with the NX, I should say. And I definitely, uh, you know, think that maybe the time has come for, for uh, just a, a quick transition from the Wii U uh, to the NX is necessary at this point. There's talk now that Zelda will actually be, only be on on the on the NX. You know, they're, they're, you we're hearing all sorts of wild stories ever since the you know the report came out yesterday uh, in regards to the future of the Wii U, possible future for the Wii U, I should say. Uh, but I, I think at this point in time that that the Wii U has been an underwhelming success. Um, you know, obviously the the numbers represented that what the major consumer base has said about that. Even though it's had an outstanding lineup of first party games, the overall Wii U experience was not what it needed to be. But the Nintendo, I still have every confidence in the world that they're going to do something right with the NX. And now that they're actually making some smart moves as far as getting into a smartphone uh, and mobile audience, and finally reaching out that audience after years of I've asked them to do that. Um, and they're making some headway there that they are taking some right steps and going in the right direction. I think if they shed themselves the Wii U sooner rather than later, that might be a step in the right direction so that they can fully focus uh, on bringing, you know, the, the core experience of the NX home to an audience. Uh, 
I know you saw it as a person who has the Xbox One, you the 360. They dropped the 360 like a bad habit uh, as soon as the Xbox One solidified itself as a gaming unit. Did they not? Yes, they did. And like back back like with Nintendo, like I see just if the if the recent success of Rocket League has really proven anything with like Xbox One and PlayStation, it's that you know, people love indie, independently made video games. So I feel like if Nintendo were to cash in on the the indie game craze, like I think they could really like, you know, they could they could rise up in the the console war. Absolutely, and like I said, I I don't want to say it's the death knell for for Nintendo because it's certainly by no means. I know, like I said, their 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 entries into the mobile gaming market, in Japan, have garnered huge success in the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, and their and their future for theirs just is infinite as far as you know what the possibilities could be for for mobile users around the world as far as bringing all their classics home or different scenarios for that is concerned. And I know one thing we've talked about over the years on on at yourgamesource.com is you know the lack of of new properties, new IPs taking hold within Nintendo franchises. That it always seems to be some iteration of of Mario or Zelda or, or the like. And, oh, you know, I know that, that that may be of some concern as well, but I, I have every bit of faith that Nintendo will take take some better steps forward with the NX once it's introduced and could be better served, could be better served indefinitely, uh, most definitely by by uh, maybe uh, putting to rest uh, the, the future of the Wii U maybe after this year. Right, you know, we'll have to just when E three rolls around, we'll have to see, you know, see for sure what's what's happening with Nintendo. I, I have every every bit of faith in them, though, that they can really kind of correct their mistakes and rise up. Uh, I and uh, you know that that just makes it more beneficial to to owners out there of the Wii U because they'll they'll be able to get their products cheaper. And anybody who's still interested in Wii U, you're going to be able to get it at a at a really good price uh, in the not too distant future. Uh, and their first party lineup, as far I will say again, the first party lineup over the past few, you know three years uh, with them competing against PlayStation Four and Xbox One, their first party lineup has been superior. Unfortunately, that has not been able to translate in any other aspect of the experience to be more attractive to a, to a core audience. So maybe it is time to put uh, the future of the Wii U to rest and maybe focus solely on providing a quality NX experience. All right. Uh, well, it's been a great discussion tonight. Um, uh, once again, uh, Josh, you know, uh, you got center space going on there. You got Vendetta Dark still uh, still out there for the masses on, on Amazon. It's a great novel if anybody uh, wants to be able to pick it up. Uh, you got Center Space. Uh, once again, tell us how we can get all these great products uh, that you've come up with. Right now, you can get Vendetta Dark from Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon in paperback form, and you also get an ebook on Kindle and Nook formats and. Right now, you can get Center Space, which is kind of an, in the indirect sequel to Vendetta Dark, on an ebook format from Nook. But it'll be out in Kindle, uh, hopefully by the end of next week. Oh, that's and, awesome! Here, absolutely. Yeah, and, and when all when all the parts of the short stories are finished, it's actually going to be an, a novel. So you'll be able to get that in paperback, probably. I want to say before January. 
Sweet. If they have any questions, is there a way to contact you? Yeah, you can contact me on Facebook. Um, I'll, I don't actually remember what the link is. I'll have to send it over to you. But uh, or, yeah, you, can, you know what? They can always get a hold of us, info at yourgamesource.com, and I can forward any question that they might have about any one of your projects. Uh, I immediately forward it over to you if that's the case. Yes, exactly. That would, that'll, that'll work too. Sweet. Yeah. So, or, you know, if, like I said, uh, you know, Josh is, uh, you know, easily out on, on, on many social media outlets. So search for him there. Um, and, and like I said, he's got some good stuff. And if you liked Vendetta Dark, like I did, uh, Center Space is something definitely to look forward to indeed. Um, as for us, uh, it's another edition of the Game Source Podcast number 140 coming to an end. Uh, we appreciate you watching, listening. Um, catch us again, yourgamesource.com. We're the, one of the leading providers of video game news uh, and stories from around the internet on everything that is video games, pop culture, TV, movies, uh, technology, and you name it. It just seems to be out there. And we cover it. We, we give you a glimpse of it, and we show you the best stories from around the internet on that. Uh, and keep you all up to date. So give us a like on Facebook, and you will get all that info straight to you um, without having to search around for it yourself. So for uh, me, uh, this is Gerald, better known as Yes Elvis Lives. Uh, it's uh, been another beautiful day in paradise. Uh, Josh, any last words? Um, seriously, thanks for tuning in, guys. It's been a pleasure. And it has been indeed. So for, for Josh Peterson... This is Gerald, better known as Yes Elvis Lives, saying thanks for watching, appreciate you listening, and you have yourselves a great day. Do you love games, breed games, and bleed games? Then this is the crew for you. If you are interested in editorial, podcasting, live events, and exclusive content, make sure to hit us up at info at yourgamesource.com and become part of a team that is dedicated to delivering all the greatest and latest in gaming news and content all here at yourgamesource.com.